At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. Bien, lanzamiento el plato. Le pone el bate la bola al izquierdo. You know what? It sounds even better in Spanish. It just does. Wilson Contreras with the first inning grand slam from the leadoff spot. That's almost impossible when you try to wrap your brain around it, right? Like 10 times in history that it's happened. You know what else almost never happens? Almost getting to the over total in the bottom of the first inning. The Cubs basically did that for us yesterday. and They made a sweat about it too by the end though because the pitching was so good from Wade Miley the score actually ended up only 9 to nothing after eight runs were scored in the first inning on an eight-and-a-half run total. I guess that's what happens when you got the Pirates hitting against a fast-working starter who's in a groove like Wade Miley, who didn't allow a hit until the fifth inning after the Pirates were fresh off of getting no hit on Sunday, only to win the game against the Reds, then turn around and lose 9 to nothing to the Cubs in part because they went 13 full innings without getting a hit based back to the night before against the Reds. Again, they actually won 3-1. to one. That's where the Bucko Bats are right now. It was 45 consecutive hitters without a base hit to tie the high watermark, or maybe better said, the low watermark set by the Boston Red Sox offense earlier this season. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast, and it's brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. 
I am Tim Benz, and we will get back to baseball in a little bit, but we have to start with hockey. It's hockey playoff time, and Bet Rivers has a special offer through the entire NHL playoffs. Throughout the playoffs, place three same-game parlays of $10 or more on each round and receive a $10 free bet at the conclusion of each round. Think of it as a betting hat trick. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Create your ideal combo with same-game parlays on the Bet Rivers app or at BetRivers.com. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I've given you my picks for this round after I was 8-for-8 on series predictions in the opening round. Again, I'm not going to brag too much. I was more like 6-for-10 on actual bets. Flat-out predictions on the series, though, I hit them all. This round, a little tougher. I'm picking Tampa in seven games over Florida. Them to win the series is plus 130. I should have waited. I got it at 125. I'm picking the Blues tonight, but the Avs to win that series in six games. The Blues are at plus 180 this evening. The Avs are at minus 400 to win the series. It's plus 305 for the Blues to win, and dumber bets than that have been made for sure, especially by me. I'm tempted, but not going to do it. Just tempted is all. I told you that I love the Avs at plus 400 to win in six, though. That's my favorite bet on the board, or Avs minus 186 to win the series, giving a game and a half. We'll get more into Flames, Edmonton, and Rangers, Canes tomorrow with Mike Pursuta. I'll take the favorites in those two series. Rangers push it to seven. Oilers push it to at least six and could upset for sure. But I've got to get into some of what was said at the Penguins' breakup day today after their loss to the Rangers in seven games in overtime on Sunday night at MSG, 4-3. to three. One comment resonated with me more than anything else, and that was Sidney Crosby saying that he'd like to play another three years for sure, but he didn't want to tie himself down beyond that. Meanwhile, Evgeny Malkin said another three to four years. Latang said another four to five years. Now, if you watch the playoff series against the Rangers, you tell me, of those three players, knowing that Crosby is 34 and those other guys are 35, of those three players, which one looks like he should be questioning if he's got more than three years left? Which one looks like he should be thinking about retirement the least? Because to me, it's not the guy who's talking about it. And like, listen to how he answered the question. Here's the full question and answer from the other Crosby, Wes Crosby of NHL.com, asking Sidney Crosby about how much time he thinks he has left to play. Uh, Sid, Gino said that he would like to play for three or four more years. Um, Chris Letang said he doesn't really have an exact number, but said he could play four or five easily. Yeah. Um, do you have any sort of uh, number that, that you have in mind that how long you would like to play still? Yeah, I mean, three, three for sure. Um, and then we'll see after that. I mean, uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but um, three definitely. So... Glad to hear that Gino said three and Tanger said five plus probably. So not surprised either at either of those answers. Those are pretty much par for the course right there. But um, glad that, uh, yeah, they're looking to, to keep playing they can and um, they're playing at a high level. So, yeah, that's that's great to hear. And you can kind of tell he's laughing at the notion of Latang playing five more years or Gino playing four more years and he sounds dubious of his own ability to complete three. Are you kidding me? You know, I'm pretty sure there's no place to get lines on this, but since this is a betting podcast, if I laid odds as to which player would be coming off of his best season in 2025, would it be Latang, Malkin, or Crosby? I'll take Crosby. 
by no coincidence for the record, is there this little nugget that the three-year window, Sid is pointing out, is to the end of his contract. And by no coincidence did Gino and Latang say more than three years each because they don't have a contract right now, and NHL players have contracts that are guaranteed, and each of them would like a contract that lasts longer than three years. These aren't coincidences, folks. But to me, that was a meaningful statement by Crosby insofar as he's looking at the end of his contract as potentially a new chapter. That's when life-changing events could happen. New contract, maybe. Last contract, maybe. End of this contract, retirement? Maybe. New team? Hmm, maybe. Hey, I'm not the one that put this out there. Crosby did. That was a very meaningful thing that Crosby did there in that comment, especially the tone with which he said it, where it's like, boy, I don't know if I can last another three years. These guys are talking about four and five. Who are they kidding? You know, I guess that I've always viewed this contract that Sid is on the last couple years of it as a placeholder, a bridge to his last one and his last one in Pittsburgh. Presumably, it's his last one, and presumably that last one would always be in Pittsburgh after this current one expires, I'm talking about. But maybe not now that I consider this frame of reference. Barring a major injury or a catastrophic concussion recurrence, I always assume Crosby would play into his 40s, that he's too much of a hockey lifer and diehard to quit before then. It appears, based on how he was playing at the end of this regular season and into the playoffs, that he's got that much left in his legs and his game, that contract would only get him to 38. That may seem plenty old for some hockey players. I don't think so for Crosby, though. If I could get odds, I bet he plays at least until his 40-year-old season, if health allows. But maybe this whole process with Sid and Gino is a wake-up call. Maybe there's some legitimacy to him allegedly being ticked off that he feels like his teammates got lowballed. Maybe seeing the core melt away is a smack in the face. Perhaps Fenway Sports Group taking over is like Crosby realizing, if I leave to go play for the Canadians someday, it's not like I'm walking out of Mario anymore. Not really. Sure, the reality is that he probably was just tossing off that question, knowing that three years is a round number because of his contract, and we'd all go scurrying to look for it and do our work to draw our conclusions. But if you shot Crosby full of sodium pentothal, I bet he tells you, I'm getting one more contract besides this one somewhere from somebody. And maybe with the way things are going with Latang and Malkin, it doesn't have to be the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll talk more about the Pens and their state of affairs when we come back in just 30 seconds with Brian Metzer, the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. We'll mix in some... Baseball talk as well. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Bet Rivers Sportsbook is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, Bet Rivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com today to sign up. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh, must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Okay, back on Bet Rivers, the Pittsburgh City Cast. Tim Benz with you. Glad that you are with us. My little parlay last night, baseball wise, paid off. I had Dodgers over the Diamondbacks. I had Yankees 
winning over the Orioles. The Yanks made it look easy. The Dodgers did not. They had to come back from down to go out in front 3-2. to two. Then they made it 5-2, to two, and they looked like they were going to coast. And the next thing you know, Craig Kimbrell's giving up two run homers in the ninth inning and working his ass off to get out of a save situation. But he got one, and the Dodgers get a win. Lots of afternoon games today. Maybe my good friend Mike Pursuta got in on the second half of the Mets-Cardinals doubleheader. Uh, I didn't get involved too much with baseball. Uh, there is another doubleheader. What was it? The uh, White Sox and Royals. We'll talk to Mike about that tomorrow to see if he played any of those as he likes to do. Red Sox and Astros had some twists and turns. That might be a fun one tonight. But uh, I'm leaving baseball largely alone. I might throw some down on the Cubs again because why not? Keegan Thompson was good against the Pirates. He didn't give up a run against them the last time they faced one another, even though the Pirates won. So maybe I'll go with them, and maybe I will go with the under. Uh, That's down, though, to 7.5. People have figured out how little the Pirates have been hitting of late. Uh, JT Brubaker, if it's an on-game and off-game, that influences the run total for the Pirates a little too much for me to feel really stout. But I'm all hockey tonight. Uh, I'm throwing money around all over the place in series and things like that for hockey, so I'm not going to dabble too much on baseball. And uh, i got to get a little bit more into a flow for baseball once hockey ends, but I'm so hockey-invested right now, I think that's where my head is. Hockey and the Pirates is pretty much what I've been focusing on, uh, although I did get sucked into those uh, late games last night as I was writing for the Trib and saw a lot of the rain-delayed Boston-Houston game And like I said, the end of the game between the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers where my money was incubating and luckily cashed out at BetRivers.com. We'll talk about some of the odds hockey-wise right now with Brian Metzer of the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. And we recap the end of the Penguins season with him right here on the Pittsburgh CityCast. BetRivers Sportsbook is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, BetRivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the BetRivers app or go to BetRivers.com today to sign up. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh, must be 21 gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Here's our weekly hockey podcast, Tim Benz and Brian Metzger from the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. Another year in the books for Mets there. Another year in the books for the Pittsburgh Penguins as they lose to the New York Rangers in seven games. Mets doing another fine job doing intermissions, post-game, pre-game, occasionally even color commentary with the way the COVID season (laughs) wrapped up. And However, the media core managed to avoid getting COVID. Uh, The entire media core seems to have it in some way, shape, or form, identified or not. Uh, as the season wrapped up, you know what, Mets, uh, based on the fact that everybody that we know in the media is sick, uh, maybe it's not such a bad thing that the Penguins are out because uh, if a tree falls in the forest, you know, like maybe they would have gotten <laughs> swept by the hurricanes and nobody would have been there to report it. Yeah, that's the funny thing, Tim. I, we were just talking before we went live here. The Penguins are having their breakdown day on Tuesdays. Everyone's talking about, you know, who's going to be able to be there to actually cover it. Who would be there to cover their hockey games if they would continue into the second round? Because we just, by the day, continue to hear more and more names added to the COVID protocol list of the media contingent. Uh, I I guess that I'm just, I've been dodging bullets matrix style just because I dealt with this back in January when some other people were dealing with it. So maybe I was able to avoid it this time around so far, knock on a big piece of wood. But it's crazy. 
it's running wild. And um, I guess the most intriguing thing, Tim, how did the Penguins players avoid it through that first round? Yeah, they just got everything else. Every other sort of form of bad luck. Uh, they got Jacob yeah. Truba COVID. They got foot COVID for uh, Tristan Jari. Uh, <laughs> however you want to label it. Um, yeah, and whatever Brian Dumoulin has, and Brian Boyle is now going to have surgery, and you know we're going to start to get the list and list and lists of people who are going to be out for whatever no portion of the offseason because of uh, injuries that they suffered late in the year. <laughs> uh, I do think the Dumoulin thing really hurt them, uh, not even just so much because he didn't play. You know, He didn't have a very good year by his standards, but his absence, I think, really screwed up the deep pairings and how the minutes were allocated. How about you? Oh, I completely concur. Uh, for me, that injury probably made bigger impact than just about anything else they were dealing with. Yes, you don't want to go into battle with your third-string goalie. You don't want to lose Sidney Crosby. But Brian Dumoulin got to play one game in the series. And when you look at the scenario here, it forced Mike Matheson to play with uh, Chris Letang. And they just were not good together. Uh, Matheson kicked in three goals in this series. And to me, that's a, a huge difference maker. He had zero defensive awareness. And that's not to say that he didn't do a good job offensively and didn't you know, have a nice season by his standards. But to go out and have that happen in a playoff series, I think it really magnified the loss of Dumoulin. And I, I found it intriguing that nobody was talking about that. When you hear national people point to what the Penguins were dealing with, they just focused on the goaltending and focused on the, the loss of Sidney Crosby in those games uh, or the game and a half in which he didn't play. And unfortunately, uh, I think Dumoulin, he deserves more credit for what they do and the success that they have. And he, his loss was really magnified. Uh, that was He moves the puck well, he defends well, and he wasn't there. Well, Mets, I think two things on that. If he's out there with Latang, then that's all the more minutes for Matheson. And it might be proof that for those that are hoping that Matheson can just step in and be what Latang was, he can't be. You know, like he can't take on as many minutes if he's going to be out there with Latang all the time, because for as many minutes as he might log when he's separate from Latang, Latang is still getting more, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's I mean, not just there, power play either. No, there were, there were games this season where Matheson certainly shouldered a, a bigger load, but when you have Dumoulin and Latang, they're the guys that are playing the, the 22 to 25 to 26 minutes a game. Matheson is maybe three on that list or so, depending sometimes four on that list. And for me, even if he had to be the, the big minute man, he would be out there with a player that's not Chris Letang. Maybe you would pair him with a more defensive-minded player, which have made, would have made it more like he would be dealing with on his regular pair anyway. It's the fact that you had two players, I think, that are just so similar in style and Matheson is no Chris Letang. So he was asked to kind of maybe be a little bit more defensively stout than he normally would have to be or than he even is on a regular basis. And I think it exposed him to a certain extent. Uh, he still was able to chip in uh, with some offense in the series. But for me, that doesn't matter one bit when you're kicking in three goals and you just have your, your footwork betrayed you and he just found himself in bad spots he had some penalties he had some situations like that and uh, I just I just didn't like the look of the pairing from the earliest moments that they were put together even at times when they experimented with it in the regular season and there must have been something else going on that Mike Sullivan thought worked there because he just chose to stick with it and he kept saying they they liked that pairing and I don't know if it was as simple as trying to keep John Marino with Marcus Pedersen because those two 
seemingly are better together than they are apart. And they were probably concerned about completely upsetting the apple cart of all of their pairings. But in the process of keeping Matheson with Latang, he still kind of did that. And if he's out there more often, then he gets more defensively exposed, like we were talking about before. And I thought that was a theme throughout the seven games against the Rangers, whether it was Matheson kicking pucks in or going off of defenseman stick or the defenseman screening the two goaltenders, three goaltenders over the course of this series, I should say. That was a consistent issue. Yeah, that pairing was on the ice for a number of those goals. If you look in game six, uh, those two were out there for, I think it was the first Abinijad goal specifically that it looks like Chris Letang is right in front of Louis Deming and took his eyes away a bit. And then uh, even on the overtime goal in game seven, Chris Letang had his back to the shot as it was coming in, kind of trying to cover the front of the net a little bit there. And uh, he took Jari's eyes away. And I guess I guess more than anything else, we, we saw the net front play of the Penguins, which was a, a, an issue for them all season long, kind of come back to bite them in the last handful of games of that series because they were beaten in front of the net by some of those Rangers forwards. It was evident when they scored the three goals in 242 in game five as well. And so when you look at this whole situation, it's just, um, I I think there were flaws on the blue line. And when everybody says, oh, it's going to be a different Penguins team next year, I hope if that is the case and they do make changes, it starts with kind of revamping the blue line a little bit. Whether Chris Letang is here or not, you've got to find a, a new mix, I think, behind whoever your number one defenseman here is in Pittsburgh because there were times this season where it worked and there were other times where you were reliant so heavily on guys like Chad Ruedel and Mark Friedman and even Mike Matheson that it, it would be good for 45 to 50 minutes of a hockey game, but then they would be caught running around and just being a little bit overburdened or overexposed for the other five to ten minutes. Between Jari DeSmith and Deming, of those three – Who's back next year to open the season in net? Well, this is th- that's the interesting thing because they're they have two of those guys are going to be looking for contracts, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Jari, for sure, I'm I'm thinking will be locked in as their number one goaltender unless something crazy happens. And then it's a matter of does somebody come knocking on Louis Domingue's door based on what they saw and say, hey, do you want a regular backup job in the National Hockey League outside of Pittsburgh? and maybe he moves on because someone might dangle some money. But I, I I kind of feel like the Penguins would have gotten to the point where they might be able to get a guy like that for even cheaper than they were paying um, the Smith if they wanted to have him as the backup because he, he showed that he could go out and make you know some first saves and play a handful of games for you. And he probably delivered at least as much as he did during that season in which he was the backup to Vasilevsky in Tampa Bay. I don't want to have to rely on him for uh, complete extended stretches because as we saw with him, if he faced more than 20 shots in a game, he started to give up some some goals. And he um, was looking at giving up three to four per night. And if your team can't score six or seven, they were losing. And uh, I don't know that you want to have that long term. Now, all that said, I think he can still be an effective backup for them who would come on the cheap if you had to allocate finances in another direction. And so I guess all of that being said – I wouldn't be shocked to see Casey DeSmith move on just based on the way things have gone here for him in terms of injuries, some bad luck. And then even if he has a foul taste in his mouth going back a few years ago when they signed him to be an NHL goalie and ended up sending him down to the minor leagues. I don't know if we'll we'll see something like that again, 
but I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him move and maybe Deming hang around or maybe a whole new face. But of those two, I think Deming probably earns the right to be a backup here in Pittsburgh moving into the future, at least for a season. Who's going to be making these decisions? Because I'm not sure if Hextall and or Burke are both going to be back or if either of them are going to be back. Well, and that's uh, the million-dollar question here, Tim, because when we look at this a month ago, I wouldn't have really thought either was going to be on the move. But everything that we've heard now in the last week, I, I can't I, – I'm a little surprised by all the chatter that I'm getting. I've heard from a number of people that just, oh, yeah, there's no doubt. There could be change here specifically. You know, Brian Burke will be gone. I know Madden said that to you when you guys talked today. And uh, I, I think that there are some people now wondering if Ron Hextall was the right fit here in Pittsburgh. Um, a couple other a couple other reporters around the league and even in our city here, they feel that maybe he is he has shown that he, his hesitation to make decisions ha, have hurt the team a little bit. Um, there, there's speculation going around about maybe Sid was available for the last game and he didn't get out there because of his decision. So when you see all that kind of stuff happening, maybe the new ownership group wants to have their own management team put in place. Plus, I've heard a number of people make complaints about Brian Burke that have nothing to do with hockey, uh, just things that were going on in the office, etc. And when you have that kind of chatter, I think that it points to it's not a good fit. There's people there that are being rubbed the wrong way, and uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see some sort of change happen. So I would concur, based on everything I've heard, Tim, that I wouldn't be shocked to see Berkey move on, but I don't know for sure that Hextall will but I won't be shocked if he does. And then if that happens, it makes you wonder if David Morehouse didn't leave a year earlier, would they have just been able to keep uh, GMJR around here? Because the more and more you hear that speculated, the only reason that Rutherford left is because he couldn't get along with, uh, with David Morehouse. So they have some big time decisions to make on and off the ice and in the front office. And that's going to make this off season really, really intriguing. So the question is, do they make that management decision right away so that whoever they bring on can get to work in the offseason here. Sure, you can rely on the stats for the draft or the um, scouts for the draft, but beyond that, you need to make free agency decisions. You have contracts that need signed. You have some big name respected individuals that need to sign contracts too, or at least negotiate contracts with. So this could be a really messy situation if they don't figure out that front office in a hurry. And that's, you know, are you keeping them? Are you moving them? And then they got to get to work. Yeah. And if Sid is left with a team that he doesn't think he can win with, with brand new management who has made the decision to move on from Rust, Latang, and Malkin. I yeah. can only imagine how that's going to go. Yeah, um, it, it, you could really see some horror shows here for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, I, I don't foresee at this direct moment Sidney Crosby saying, hey, I'm unhappy here, but you know as well as I do. That trio and even Brian Russ, but specifically the big three, they're tight. And I know Sid is a businessman. He understands that hockey is a business. And he talked about it in his final availabilities that, you know, we all kind of knew this was maybe the last kick at the can for ourselves. So I think he would be on board with moving into the future if he knew there was a clear cut plan in place to to not necessarily rebuild, but to retool while still kind of rebuilding a little bit. And you can do that effectively. Uh, we've seen teams pull it off. And and I think Mike Sullivan, who I believe the new ownership group is behind, they like him. I mean, he's a Boston guy, just like a lot of them. And uh, he has proven to get so much juice 
from a fruit that is comprised of blue collar players that I, I think that alone makes them a playoff contender alone next season, even losing some of these guys. But you have to prove to Sidney Crosby that you're serious about um, you know, making runs and trying to be a, a competitive team that is still going to at least have a chance to win the Stanley Cup before the end of his career. Well, the Sullivan thing, yeah, I'm kind of wondering what the team will look like and what image it will be cast. Will it attempt to be the speed team of 2016 and 17 with players that can still skate that way in a way that perhaps the other... Well, then again, you know, you're getting rid of Latang and Rust. I mean, those are two guys who can still move. I don't think Gino can move like he thinks he can or like he used yeah. to. The other two, uh, they can obviously still skate. You still got Gensel. You know, they are kind of in between there. The one thing to go back to your point, though, is uh, when you talk about rebuilding on the fly, they'll have lots of cap space for the first time since, like, you know, what, oh, eight or nine? You know, so they can actually rebuild quickly if they want to. I just want to know what direction it's going to go in. No, that's – I. I it's going to be interesting because they – they do. They're going to be able to have speed, I think, with some of the players that are left behind. Uh, Gino, as you mentioned, does not have the wheels that that he once did. And besides that, his East-West game, we all know how wonderful Gino can play. I mean, when he's locked in, I mean, the goal he scored in game six was was vintage Gino Machino stuff, Tim. But that was a nice north-south play. He picks a pocket and goes. But he so often tries to freelance and play that East-West game where even on the power plays that they bungled, I don't know why he's looping around like he is so much and kind of driving other guys out of areas of the ice. You put Evan Rodriguez into a situation to be a shooter on the power play and he's gliding into his area and making him kind of vacate that area of the ice. And that's can't be what Mike Sullivan had in mind. So getting back to the true point here, though, I won't be surprised if they are keeping Mike Sullivan as their coach, which I'm all but certain they will, that they will look to build a fast hardworking team that can be structured and play his style, his system. And then you have Sidney Crosby grafted onto that. Then you go out and you start recognizing a couple of free agents that can maybe jump into that style of play. Um, there, there's been a lot of speculation all of a sudden that, okay, well, maybe you can't sign Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang, but maybe you can make a run at Vince Trocek to play behind Sidney Crosby. Um, there's going to be some other centers available going into free agency as well that are that are big name, hardworking, high scoring type players that can play a good two way style. I, I know there's speculation all of a sudden that Patrice Bergeron could be done in Boston. He and Sidney Crosby are buddies. And that's just a pipe dream to say that. Uh, I'm just throwing it out there just for for um, giggles here on our conversation, Tim. But my, my point is, you could still have a very successful hockey team that can play the Sullivan style. And those players probably will be available. It's just not going to be the same star heavy kind of team that we've seen here in Pittsburgh, but maybe that's not a terrible thing either because we've seen a star heavy team find ways to lose in big games. And I know they have a lot of things working against them in some of these situations, but that said, if you go out and you can find a team that can still score goals while playing a structured style and playing Sullivan's system, I think they could still be pretty successful. Again, Brian Metzer with this Pittsburgh Penguins radio network talking about the Pens and their defeat at the hands of the New York Rangers in Game 7 where blown leads very much the reason why they aren't playing anymore. Blew a 2-0 lead in 5-6, and six, gave up two separate leads in Game 7. 
Sidney Crosby made the comment that after Game 7, it was an example, at least in that game, of not being able to get one more. Yeah. And I think you could actually apply that to the other two games if you wanted to. It's I just can't get Mike Matheson's quote out of my head where he said, we have to do a better job of not getting rattled. Uh, it was clear Mike Sullivan didn't like that characterization when I brought it up to him, but... One of the players themselves set it on the bench, and it looked that way. Yeah. Sid got hurt. They got rattled. The bad luck occurred where they got a bad non-call in their favor. Rodriguez gets thrown in the box. They got rattled. I don't know if such an effect happened in Game 7, which brings me back to Sid's point about maybe that one was more about getting or not getting one more goal and less about giving up the lead as opposed to a failure to expand upon it. But in either situation, Mets, uh, that's what happened. They either didn't distance themselves enough from the Rangers or they allowed the Rangers to catch back up too often. Well, it, I think what I'm going to remember from this series is that the Penguins, if you looked at it as an overall portrait and, you know, look whistle to whistle from start to finish, they outplayed the Rangers for large stretches of this series. And that's what's most disappointing. But then you see them have those moments where it just falls away because in game five, they did get rattled. Losing Sidney Crosby completely derailed what they were doing. At that point, even with just having a two-goal lead, they looked to be in full control. And I, I don't think anybody would have been shocked to see them win the series in five games if Sid doesn't get knocked out. But from the time he got knocked out, he left with just under seven minutes to play. Uh, it was just six and change. And then all of a sudden, the uh, 449 away from carrying a 2-0 lead to the third period, you completely unravel and melt down in a span of 2 minutes and 42 seconds. And even with all of that happening, they still got out of that period tied, which I think spoke to the way that they were able to kind of gather themselves back in, but the damage had been done. And it's kind of what happened to them at points during this entire season, Tim, where they would play 54 great minutes, 55 great minutes, or a great period and then a bad period. We saw that in these playoffs where they were just a roller coaster team again. And um, I, you can point to the the situation you said with the Erod penalty. They let that one fall away with the power plays and then some of the other things that happened. And probably what undid them even more there was their own special teams let them down. They gave up shorthanded goals in this series. Their two uh, their two man advantage power play was complete crap. It betrayed them in back to back games with the talented group that they can ice. How do you not score with that? So. All of that said, they did get rattled and they let it get away, but they had moments that you could have added a goal or you could have found a way to to hammer another one in. So I think there's a little bit of truth in all of the comments that, yes, they got rattled. Yes, they needed one more goal. But I would point to the fact that they also got rattled in Game 7 a little bit. Once Pedersen's helmet <clears throat> excuse me, was torn off, he complained to the referee, and then with everybody kind of being confused on the rule, he flew to the bench, which he thought he had to do, well, John Marino then gets a little rattled when he looks and doesn't see his defensive partner. And before Latang can get into position, he coughs up the puck, the goal's in the net, the game's tied, and the rest is history. So they went from having control there with a 3-2 lead, they were really sound in the third, to letting it get away in one play where I would say two of their quote-unquote younger defensemen, I know Patterson's not young, but they got a little bit rattled, and the rest, uh, it, it, it falls away, and a goal is scored for the Rangers there with one of their veteran players taking full advantage of making a nice shot and beating a uh, one-and-a-half-leg Tristan Jari as he went down a little too soon over the glove hand. 
Between Jari, Raquel, and Sid, could or should any of them have played in Game 6? Um, I think... I'm not surprised Jari didn't play that night. I, I think some of our colleagues in the city were surprised that Jari didn't play based on what they had been seeing in practice. Based on what we had reported from our friends that were in New York uh, for Game 7, I think they probably made the right choice considering that two days later, he still had his ankle heavily wrapped, the foot heavily wrapped, and I heard he had an ice bag on his foot walking into the media availability even. So he may not have been prepared for game six. Um, Raquel, it seemed like he was probably ready, but for whatever reason, he didn't get in. I don't know exactly what his uh, diagnosis was uh, with the injury that he had. But for me, I, I think that Sidney Crosby is the wild card. And the rumors that we're hearing, the stories that we're hearing, um, there, there's a story going around, and I know it was just um, put out there publicly on the radio uh, in the city this afternoon, and I had heard it from um, another another reporter from the outlet. I'm, I'm referring to The Athletic, which I don't want to say on your, on your uh, paper mm-hmm. here, Tim, but I want to give them credit for it, but uh, that Ron Hextall held Sidney Crosby out whenever he was supposedly cleared from uh, concussion protocol. He wanted to play from what we hear. He was ready to play, and Ron Hextall made a decision to to not have him out of an abundance of caution, which when we're talking Sidney Crosby, Tim, I get it. I understand that. But, you know, you're in a winner-go-home. You're on home ice. Why force a game seven when I think Sidney Crosby could have been a difference maker in game six? Now, he didn't look like himself for most of game seven, but if I could have had him out there just even as a psychological move against the Rangers, I think I would have played him. If Sid's saying he's ready, if the docs are saying he's ready, I think he should have played. And uh, Sidney Crosby is so cognizant of his his head health. I don't think he would have said he was ready or wanted to play if he knew there was any sort of long-term repercussion on the table that could have hurt him long-term. Yeah, and that kind of clears up what Pat Brisson was saying, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, and it, it's a shame because uh, we always have heard for years here, Tim, that Ron Hextall is a little too conservative with making moves and doing this and doing that. Was he a little too conservative with making that decision? Maybe. Uh, Is it something that could play into their decision on keeping him or sending him on his way? I don't know, but I I was a bit shocked when I heard that news because somebody shared that with me two nights ago before game seven saying, yeah, you know, he was probably ready to play and um, he was held out. So that was a bit, a bit disheartening. Because I, I feel, based on what we saw in Game 6 there, Tim, that could have been a difference maker. They had the 2 nothing lead. I know Erod did what he did. But I, I think Sid, is the in that kind of game on home ice, that, that was a difference maker in such a way that they could have maybe finished that series well, out. Well, yeah, I mean, just to the raw degree that maybe if he's playing, Erod isn't on that shift. Yep, and it, and it, and it mitigates that top line. I mean, that's the game in which... The Zabinijad, uh, Chris Kreider tandem really exploded. I mean, they, they had had to deal with Sidney Crosby all series long, and it held them in check just because they had to play defense against number 87. And that, that was able to almost in and of itself hold them off the board. I know Kreider had a couple of goals, but Zabinijad did not get on the board until game six in these playoffs and then finishes it off with three goals in the final two games. Kreider, three goals in the final two games. If Sid's on the ice that night, Maybe they're forced to contend with him. Maybe it creates something for Jake or Brian Rust and the rest. You know, you can go on from there. As you just said, Erod's maybe not even out there. So 
uh, that that's all very disheartening and it's all hindsight and who knows what really went down. But I would think there should at least be some sort of behind the scenes conversation about, hey, do we trust our medical people or don't we? And if they cleared him, then why in the heck isn't he out there playing the game? Mets, what about what happens moving forward in the NHL playoffs? Because uh, I had a really good first round, at least in terms of predictions. I got eight series right. You know, I might have missed here or there on some game totals. Like, I didn't think the Hurricanes series was going to last as long as it did. Uh, I didn't think that the Flames series was going to make me sweat as much as it did. But, uh, you know, as far as brackets go, I'm eight for eight moving forward. I think it gets a lot more murky here, a, a couple things that stand out to me, you know, I, I really like the Blues extending the Avs to at least six games. Uh, I think that's going to be a tighter series than what some people are giving credit for. I think the Lightning are going to bring back plus money in that series against the yep. Florida Panthers. I'm on them there. Uh, I think that it's a little bit harder to call maybe the two series that start later, which are Colorado and Edmonton, and then the Rangers against Carolina. Rangers against Carolina, to me, is is the toughest one of the bunch, and I feel like I've watched those two teams more than the others. What do you think? I would say that the Penguins, if they showed us anything, it's that the Hurricanes, if they play the way that we've seen them play this season, Tim, could run run over the Rangers a little bit. And yeah, um, Shesterkin could steal some some games in that series, but the Hurricanes... At MSG, shoot, at MSG, I think he's going to fall apart in Raleigh. In Raleigh, I think you're exactly right. And you know, the, we've, we've taught some valuable lessons to the league, Tim. The Igor chants are going to follow him all around these playoffs now. And I think the Hurricanes, they, they're a really good hockey team. Um, the Bruins really pushed back and gave them more than they maybe anticipated or expected. But that being said... They are doing it with their backup goalie, too. I mean, Antti Ranta is the one playing for them. There's a chance they get Frederick Anderson back. But Ranta's been very good. Uh, he's gotten the job done to this point, And he'll have to be in the Domingue role to a certain extent going up against his circuit. But I just think that the way that the Hurricanes play, they're very fast. So are the Rangers, obviously. But the Penguins match that. And I don't think that the Penguins had as much speed in their lineup as the Hurricanes do. And the Hurricanes shoot the puck a ton. Uh, I, I think that that is going to be a, a huge wild card in that series. So I, I think I'm still leaning in their direction. And uh, I, that that's one thing I learned from watching how the Rangers almost lost to the Penguins is that the Hurricanes probably are going to have a, a little easier time with them than maybe the Penguins did. And the, the Rangers flames, I, or the Rangers, I'm throwing the Rangers in. I'm looking at them on my screen at the same time. The Oilers and flames. Oilers probably had a tougher time than anybody anticipated, but they finally got over that first round hump again. I think for what, just the second time with Connor McDavid and that's the battle of Alberta. So when you get into those all time rivalry type series, anything can happen. I think it's going to be a little bit of a bloodbath. Daryl Sutter is going to try and really find a defensive style to shut the Oilers down and going up uh, with that matchup of Mike Smith and um, Markstrom in net, we might see the Oilers get stuck playing some three, two and two, one hockey games more than they're comfortable with. So I think that the Oilers probably could still break through offensively and win that, but the defense of Daryl Sutter, the history he has winning Stanley Cup, uh, winning the Stanley Cups he did in L.A., that alone I think might give them enough to get by Edmonton. So you would have them moving on, which would be really, really intriguing because I don't think anybody anticipated the Flames to have that kind of year. Uh, I'm with you on the Blues. 
They're a really good hockey team. They score a lot of goals now. I think they win game one. I got them winning game one. I'm with you there. I think they'll go into Colorado and do that. And the thing is, they're going to get Kemper coming off of the eye injury. He's been cleared to play game one, if I'm not mistaken. And so to have him go up against that Blues offense, he kicks out a lot of rebounds. That's the one thing I saw in the games against the Penguins this year, Tim, is that he kicks rebounds out like crazy. The Blues have the bigger forwards and things that can get into those areas to score on those rebounds. And in Florida, come on, the the, the three-peat is on tap for the Lightning. And boy, the way they eliminated the Toronto Maple Leafs, which kind of gave me a little bit of glee just because, boy, who doesn't enjoy watching the Leafs lose again? But uh, they, they woke up at the right time like they always do. I think they are going to give the Panthers everything that they can handle and put it this way. They struggled enough with the Washington Caps. This is the uh, the team going for the three-peat. So that's probably going to be an extended series that goes at least six, maybe seven, with the damn Lightning maybe getting to the conference final for a third straight season here. Mets, thanks. We'll do it again next week. We'll hear what the executives and coaches have to say on the way out. We'll follow the news as it breaks for the Penguins during the course of the offseason, and uh, we'll stick with it through the playoffs here and see where the Stanley Cup winds up, all right? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Tim. It's going to be a crazy offseason. It's going to be a crazy breakdown day with the Penguins. And who knows, by the time we speak again, we may have new general managers or front office personnel. So the the comments we hear from breakdown day may not even be applicable anymore. (laughs) Brian Metzer, Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. All right, so my thanks to Brian tomorrow. Mike Pursuta, his weekly check-in. We'll mix in some football with Mike, too. Plenty of baseball and lots of hockey, big picture on the Pens, small picture on giving games in the playoffs, big picture on series and the Stanley Cup, all that with Mike tomorrow here on the Pittsburgh CityCast.